Cosmic Salon, and I have a very special event going on in here tonight, and it is night. We're all recording basically from the West, and so we're moving into the liminal period of the night, into the dusk. And I asked these three gentlemen, and I truly mean that, these are three gentlemen, to join me in this conversation. I'm starting to get an itch about talking about or talking with people about some of these very hot topic issues that a lot of us seem to skirt around because of the way PC culture has gone crazy since it started. Back in the day, we used to be able to debate and have conversations about things that would trigger us or be uncomfortable and then be able to have a beer. Those kinds of days, those kinds of interactions, I I grew up with that mentality. And it's become very sad to me that we're in a place where people can't even talk about real things, real stuff going on, agendas being forced on them. And we need to try and see if we can do this again. Now, of course, these are all my friends. <laughs> and and so this is obviously going to be a great chat. And we're all adults and we all are out there on platforms and have our voices around. And so with that, I'm going to introduce everyone to you and then have them introduce themselves. But I want you to know that everyone I dreamed of for this show said yes initially. So this is the core group. This is what will be the cornerstone of the OG on these PC <laughs> these PC chats. So with that, I am bringing to the floor today Justin Williams from The Hidden Gateway podcast. Masaki, you may have to help me here. Masaki Miyagawa. That's right. I did it. And Masaki Miyagawa, if you just type in his name, you'll find him everywhere. He had a website. He's kind of closed for business right now uh, where he was dealing with a whole bunch of wonderful energy devices and all that. And in his intro, he can bring that in. And then Dave Cruz of uh, beyond the strange. And I've known Dave since I started and we kind of, I feel like got our footing together somehow, some way. So this is a great band. And I think we'll just start in with Masaki. Introduce yourself. Who are you? <laughs> I Nish. Well, born and bred in Los Angeles. Uh, obviously, Masaki Miyagawa, very Japanese name, but my family's been here uh, about a hundred years in the U.S. and long enough to be put in uh, U.S. government concentration camps. (laughs) 
both my parents were yes. born in uh, you know concentration camps during World War II. People know that history. You know, Japanese Americans were put behind. Uh, there was basically the original FEMA camp. You know, um, the original planned ghettos. That's right. There's a lot of you know. Um, I talked to you about it, but there's there's a lot of people don't even know about that whole experience of putting uh, Japanese Americans uh, in concentration camps because there's an MK Ultra connection too. But uh, I would say my mom's side are Buddhist priests. That's why they came to U.S. to serve the Japanese American community. But in Japan. Uh, there's a lineage about 400 years of my mom's side being Buddhist priests, but before that they were military, so that's what's known as samurai, right? And um, I think because of that, just the general vibration frequency of the temple that I grew up in, um, the family line, and then just my own inclination, uh, very much into the hidden things, right? So I would say my family has been through multiple resets because I think 1600 around then, that was a major reset. You know, Japan closed its borders for a reason while China, Russia and other places were being infiltrated, I would say. Um, So that's my family background. And about eight years ago, I started making energy tools. if people know the Orgonite or Orgone pyramids, and then I graduated to making powered frequency devices, basically powered pyramids. And I would say for anyone who's interested in energy, frequency, energetics, healing work, uh, these energy tools are is a great entry point, especially like pyramids. So I uh, I learned a lot and. The only thing is, uh, I got the Asian disease, so <laughs> I worked. I literally worked twenty four seven for about seven and a half years, and uh, I worked to the point where I collapsed. So that was a sign. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on to the next phase, but I don't regret it at all. Got to do my own thing. Got to, you know, you know how we are. We are stubborn people, so I like to do it my way. Think whatever I want to think, and. Uh, I was my own boss, right? Yes. I, don't, I didn't have to worry about like, oh, what are the other people going to think? What's the boss? It's like, I'm the boss. So, uh, yeah. And I think many of us in this area, I know a lot of your uh, Patreons, followers, they're Audience. healers, readers in their own right. So yes. uh, a lot of us are of a similar mind. And I would say, you know, it's a good time to do a roundtable like this because... We're just tipping into a new phase, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. We have kind of come to a new place, which is great for this roundtable. Thank you, Masaki. And I will give a big thumbs up to the products you've made. Why would you use these energy tools at all? Well, number one, we're just bathed in electronic, uh, some people call it electro smog, right? It's basically. The electronic signals that the Wi-Fi, cell towers, even just common electronic equipment like uh, solar panels, yes, <laughs> computers, yep. uh, electric cars, it puts out kind of like a dirty energy that's not 
compatible with, you know, organic or living systems. And that's just, you know, if it's on. And of course, if it's tuned to certain frequencies and those kinds of things, well, a lot more can happen, right? But uh, I would say just at a minimum, um, I think everybody knows computer fatigue. So if you use certain tools, such as you were talking about copper tensoring, yeah, they look like um, you know just copper wire from the hardware store. But when it's cut to what they call the sacred cubits, which is the measuring lengths they used in the ancient megalithic structures, pyramids, uh, it actually vibrates to a certain frequency. And, you know, <laughs> this is amazing, right? It's basically, niche. it's not the tool itself. It's the understanding that these things exist. Yes. That's the major step. Yeah. And then it, it has a lot to do with taking your power back also. Mm -hmm. So you could apply, I think many of your uh, our people are aware of the sovereign citizen movement, state citizen movement, right? Yes. Just apply everything from, you know, the old so-called Christian patriot sovereign citizen movement to energetics. That's a major step. And when you say, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but guess what? Universe always provi always provides a solution or a countermeasure. So, so uh, if you use energy tools, get better sleep, less fatigue, you know? But... An interesting side effect or benefit is it's subtle, but over time, your consciousness and your vision actually bumps up to another level because you're literally raising your frequency to a higher bandwidth. When I started, it was purely, you know, I'm just thinking about people's health, better sleep, those kinds of things. But then years later, I'm like, thank God I got into this stuff because... If you can see what's happening, well, most of us, we didn't do the uh, the jabby jab, right? Because right. it's, it's not even a question. Like, yeah. we know what that is. It's like, wh whatever they do, I ain't taking it, right? And then, you know, just seeing people, seeing world events, seeing cycles, the deeper understanding, that all naturally gets bumped up using these tools. So you could say in a way it's godly, yeah. right? If you, well, I will say this, our world is composed of the 3D material, and the other half is the energetic, right? But another name for energy, you could say, is spirit. Yes. So in that way, you are becoming more connected to source because, well, you know, I'm sure it's going to come up in the talk today, but there's a lot of victimology going mm -hmm. on, and there's a truth to that. You know, people have to voice. They have to come to terms with what they've been through and there is racism there is, you know there's hardship We're, this is boot camp on planet earth <laughs> but that can't be the end all be all right you have to start moving beyond that and even if you encounter things i don't think the victim mentality helps anybody yes so in using energy tools that's one way to quote unquote be powerful and take your power back right be yes. sovereign Yep, I agree. And we need to implore all the tools. It's the armor. It's the armor. The rings that you sent me, I have not had them off since because they have had a profound effect on me. I sleep with them. And so it's not like my favorite fashion statement, but right. 
<laughs> but I can't take these off. I am sleeping in them, so I'm I'm given the love. And I've had you've sent me all kinds of goodies. I thank you for that, my friend. And then so we'll move on. Justin Williams of the Hidden Gateway Podcast. How are you? I am excellent, niece. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, just to give uh, your audience a, a bit of background on myself, as you said, I host the Hidden Gateway podcast. I've been hosting the show now for about 18 months, 18, 19 months. It's been a phenomenal experience. Uh, on the show, we discuss everything from spirituality, paranormal, uh, social issues, and reaching human potential. It's It's been a, a great experience. I've had some phenomenal guests, such as yourself, on my show. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just been something that is just, I couldn't even imagine, uh, you know, prior to start, I couldn't even imagine how, um, fulfilling it would be to connecting with people and having, uh, engaging conversations. It's so, so great for me. And, uh, I currently reside in the, uh, Phoenix area. Uh, prior to that, I was in San Diego for six years. I've been in Phoenix for four years prior to that, San Diego for six years, but originally from the, uh, Metro Detroit area. And I can definitely say that living in these, uh, Three different environments have really, really shaped my reality in regards to uh, race relations. Being a black man, I've definitely experienced my fair share of racism throughout my entire life. Uh, I remember the the earliest racism I experienced at the earliest age was, I would say, third grade. And I'll definitely get into that, amongst other things, a a bit later. I will say this uh, right off the bat. No matter what anyone goes through in in, in their experiences in life, they have a decision or choice to make in in regards to how they respond. And and that's kind of how I live my life uh, when I experience these different things, even to this day. Um, I think think the Father, the Most High, the source for uh, the, the home that I was brought up in uh, by both my parents, uh, my mom, she uh, married her first husband uh, at 16. You know, my mom is, is 81. She just turned 81 a couple of weeks ago, and she married her first husband at 16, divorced. Uh, but during that, that time, she had four kids and uh, divorced them at my father and uh, had my brother and I. Now, after divorce, she put herself through school, earned her bachelor's and eventually her master's, and she actually uh, received her Ph.D. Uh, about five years ago when she was uh, about oh, 76 wow. years old. Now, her career, she was pretty much involved in, in, in civil rights, right? And she started off working for the Civil Rights Commission in Toledo, Ohio. And then she moved on to being a civilian employee for, for, the, for the Army. And then she was a county executive in Oakland County, Oakland County, Michigan. Now, during her time at the Army, I would say the, the peak of her career when, was uh, right around 1983-84 when she was uh, sent to the Pentagon to provide uh, diversity training to uh, top military officials. And I can get into later some of the racism she experienced doing that as a black woman in the early 80s talking to these powerful men in government. Mm. But uh, I can tell you, even though my family uh, faced many trials and tribulations because of the color of our skin, uh, throughout the history of my family, dating all the way back to my ancestors and more recently, you know, my, my great grandparents were, were sharecroppers, you know, in the South Alabama, Arkansas, et cetera. But uh, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, how I was raised. Understanding my parents always made sure that I under that I had a clear understanding of, of, of the things and the ways of the world and always taught that I had a decision and a choice to make. And, you know, it was that awareness and that 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 strong foundation provided by my mom and dad. That, that helped me become the person I am 
even to this day when I deal with with different type of, of racism from from different people or discrimination, you know. So uh, that's a bit about me, and uh, just look forward forward to this chat. Thanks again for having me on. Well, they did such a great job. You know, I've said this before. I just you're outstanding, and I want to throw a shout out to. Uh, Justin's mama out there having a solar return recently. The happy birthday goes out to an outstanding woman who gave birth to a fantastic son. And obviously she did really well. And so happy birthday, mama Justin out there. And also, Justin, I just want to, I want to say right here at the top, you have written a book as well. I have, you sent it to me. It's fantastic. It gives us an idea, a deeper glimpse into your journey forward coming up out of the D. It's wonderful. This is also another great accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely very proud of that. And as we discussed before, the reason for writing the book is uh, simply to serve as a template for others that have experienced trauma in their life, right? And uh, uh, situations that uh, they may not know what to do, how to turn, or even recognize. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you know, Nisha, I've, I've gone through this spiritual journey all yes. of my life, but then it yes. took a pivot in 2020, like like a lot of people. And I, I'm at the place where I just want to want to serve, right, and and want to give back in in any capacity that I'm able. So the so the book uh, definitely allows me to do that. And so with that, we're going to move on to my friend, Dave Cruz. Dave, welcome aboard. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show tonight. And I feel very honored and privileged to be with these gentlemen along with you, Nisha. And um, I'm very looking forward to it. And this is a very great topic, something that we cover not only do we cover these kind of um, parapolitics on my show, Beyond Strange? But I've also done some sideshows, and we basically cover all the aspects of, of different, you know, politics of of things that are happening in this, you know, dare I say, upside down world <laughs> that we're going through right now, um, especially within the last two to three years. Yes. And um, it's just been amazing what's happening in the world today. But I've been doing this uh, podcasting, streaming, whatever you want to call it, on the internet for probably the last seven to eight years now. And uh, of course, I've, I've, I've done my show. Sometimes I'll do it, you know, years straight forward, you know, straight through. There's sometimes where I just take breaks. And uh, last year, I actually did catch COVID. And um, with my wife and, and, and daughter, and we went through it. I, I mean, it was it was terrifying. And it took a long time to recover from that. Luckily, I've been able to go back to work and uh, start the podcast again, slowly, of course, and kind of get back into it. Um, but, it, uh, you know, it was a very scary time. But during that time, I've been able to realize that this world has been just going through major changes, and that's you know putting it light mildly that uh, that the things that are happening right now are just you know just just amazing. Any nothing like what we've seen in our history, you know, and especially in our lifetime. So it's it's definitely something to consider. I feel that it's probably being orchestrated by outside forces when it comes to the racism, uh, when it comes to the um, 
I guess if you want to call it, um, you know, um, putting people against people. Yes. And whether, you know, their, uh, their ethnic background, their gender background, it's just amazing what's happening right now. And the thing that that's killing me is, you know, we, as people who do these type of shows and programs and research, we all uh, belong to a certain type of circle, a community, if you will. You can call it paranormal, you can call it esoterica, you can call it whatever you want. But we all know that there is something happening. And I try to keep it close. I try to keep close to this group because it seems to me like we're the ones that really understand what's happening. Moms and pops watching TV like they do for years and years, walking out catching 2020 or whatever show they're watching, they eat this stuff up. You know, they, you know, the, the TV might as well just be a, a brainwashing machine. And so I feel that the more they see all this stuff and they talk about racism and all this stuff, but they don't understand that this device that they are watching is feeding them all this garbage, you know, because they're part of the problem. You know, it's just amazing to to see all this stuff. But um, anyways, I'm I'm sure we can get into that. Um, Once again, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, thank you very much. Oh, and by the way, I am a a Latino American, first generation, you know, my family's mainly from Mexico. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've uh, definitely seen my fair share, especially growing up in the 80s. Uh, mm. interestingly, not so much in the seventies, yes, but <laughs> it's, it's weird. But, but once I got, we got to the eighties and then, you know, going forward, uh, especially, you know, in, in supposedly in a professional workplace, you see it a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And so, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get around to all that stuff later. Oh yeah. We're going to hash it out. And so just for anyone listening, I think like all of us too, even though we can all claim a bigger chunk of something. But when you start looking at our genetic makeup, we are such a mix. Unless it's some strange tribe out somewhere uh, or these very insulated communities, we all have a melting pot within us. But of course, we have our predominance and we have our predominant gene expressions that give us uh, the stuff that people are taking their visual cues from. And so I, I have a big mix of stuff that's including Sicilian from my father and uh, a lot of Scottish and uh, Scandinavian and Welsh. And so I'm kind of the white girl here. This is where we need to have humor and we need to understand that mirth and levity get us to a higher ground. Dave, you said something very significant. I'm a child of the 70s. I kind of had the Josephine Baker thing, the Rainbow Tribe, before it got, of course, co-opted into what craziness it is now, where Mm. I, in the 70s, everyone was really working hard at overcoming, and that was a word in the 70s. There were a lot of TV shows for a lot of different kinds of people. I was nailed to a lot of the African-American shows at the time. Those were my favorite. This is where I first encountered really 
so many people that changed the world without actually knowing they did, and they changed pop culture. You know, I was watching Janet Jackson before she was Janet Jackson, right, out there. And when she was Penny, everybody remember Janet when she was Penny. And oh, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, she was on Good Times. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> and so in Iowa, where I was born, it was all this stuff. So we were mixed, and my personal tribe was very mixed. And that included people that were part of the LGBTQ million million plus 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 now dot org <laughs> organization. And so outliers. That was the messaging I got as a little kid. And my mother pushed it. Of course, my mother, and then this is the thing, I have Native American in me as well, but I am very white appearing. And this is something I wanted to touch on today as well. And why I bring up the mixes of our actual genetic makeup is that we are also intertwined. And sometimes we don't physically appear to express a lot of the genetics that we are working with from our ancestors. And so I got to experience racism in a weird way with my mother because she was darker skinned, I think typically looking Indian woman from the Sac and Fox tribe in the Midwest. And it's really in her, it's like only one fourth or something that really showed up with her raven straight, this amazing hair and and, you know, high cheekbones, high forehead, you know, she's just presenting. And so I got to hear people talk about her in very terrible ways around me that were trying to bring her down. Meanwhile, that she was a model. So she was quite a lovely woman. But I saw the racism looking around people's experiences with my mom. And it uh, it was uh, sobering back then. And then you're right, Dave, something in the 80s changed. Well, the 80s changed the whole landscape. And isn't that interesting when we start looking at the consumption of the 80s? All of a sudden, a lot of people were doing good. And then I started to notice some separation. But I still, it mm. was still multicultural. We were starting to have... Um, you know, we had Cosby and we had 227 and we had, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that was going on where we, everyone was kind of bringing up the narrative, but then there was more division starting to get sewn in. And then the nineties for me, again, was a big mesh of people with grunge and all this, but nothing like where we are now, where we are now is in a very bad place. And I feel like we've gone way far backwards instead of trying to overcome, which is what I was taught we are trying to do. We're trying to move forward and get past the idea of skin deep and give everyone a fair chance by the work you do, the effort you put forward, and it should have nothing to do with your skin color. It should have nothing to do with what you're working with between your legs, etc. In fact, those things are almost, those things should be off the table, in my opinion, and in my world, those things should be off the table. But they are on the table, and there's stuff now like critical race theory that's teaching if you're born white, you're born racist. Now we, I think we'll probably agree, but I'm going to open this up here. I believe racism is something we are taught. I believe it's a form of indoctrination, either through sorrows, being hurt, your people being hurt and generational sorrows that can go on and how it can express forward. But I don't think people, babies are born into this world from the gift of birth 
and come out racist just naturally. I am one of those people that thinks that's something that's taught. And so I want to jump off into that now. So what are your thoughts on this idea of, I've been calling it racism.inc. What are your thoughts, gentlemen, on the idea of racism as something that is an indoctrination programming? Do you think that we're born racist? Do you think that we come in and are not aware of that? Are we taught these ideas and morals? And I'll just open that up. I don't know who who wants to round this out? We can certainly continue to go down from Masaki through Justin and up to Dave, if you'd like. I got some ideas. It's Masaki. So, well, of course, there's a lot of uh, learned racism, right? And a lot of it's coming out of, it's actually top down. It's not coming from the street up, right? So a lot of it's coming out of the university system, if people know Professor Daryl Hamamoto, uh, formerly of uh, UC Davis, he had a book about the dark side of Asian America. Who's working with the establishment, basically, right? All the social justice stuff, it goes back to socialism, communism. So if you know who started that, then you know <laughs> yes. it's not really the ethnics that came up with it. Right. <laughs> they they took it and they, you know, because it's actually, um, it's been building for decades. And now it's basically, it, it, a lot of people think it's fringe, but it's actually system oriented. It was basically the system that came up with a lot of these ideas. But I would say that, I mean, anyone <laughs> that's not typically WASP, especially when you go further back, there's no question. America has racial problems. And if you look at the birthday of United States of America, born July 4th, right, 1776, that's cancer, right? The cancer sign of the Zodiac rules nationalism, family, tribe, tribalism, borders, but it also rules racism. So if you know any, like, uh, I would say like them Hebrew Israelites or a lot of hoteps, or if you know, like white, like them real white nationalists, guaranteed they're going to have some strong cancer placements, mm. which is the sign of America. Mm. So America has racism baked into the cake. <laughs> but Masaki, you once said something to me, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but it mm-hmm. struck me so hard when you said, and we're talking about American Black people. You said blacks are as American pie as anything else. And that was one of the truest things I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Any ethnic in America. We're somewhat. We're not in the center. Right. Of the. I'll put it this way. Just growing up as a non-traditional white person in America, you know, to this point, there's a feeling that you're not really the mainstream, right? But let me tell you, you know, black Americans, they go to Africa, something like that, right? Or me, I go to Japan, I go, oh, I ain't Japanese. Because <laughs> <laughs> culturally, we're American. Yes. And this, you know, the thing is, is that America is going to end in a few years. In 2024 is the Pluto return. That's the end of U.S. from 1776 to 2024. So when you say that, what do you mean? Give us some clarity. U.S. U.S. is a system that it was as 50 states. It will not exist anymore. It'll be something else. 
probably federal, you know, it's probably like you've seen in the movies, like Hunger Games that will be broken into regions or something. I mean, you could already see it, the decay, you know. It doesn't happen in one date, but 2024, that is, uh, you know, Pluto return, if it's in somebody's chart, there's only two options. You will literally die or you have to metaphorically die and come back as something completely different. And I would say U.S. is going to die as people know it. So, it's yeah, sure looking that you know, way. I would say this. We're an American family that we have a lot of fights, right? <laughs> but as, as much as people would want to deny it or not even believe in this, we are all Americans. And people are going to find out all this marching in the streets and blah, 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 and, you know, left, right, and the Trumpers and the MAGA. People are going to find out how American they are. Because I think there's going to be decades of angst over the loss of, you know, at this point, we're so off, far off the edge, there's no coming back. But mm. people are going to find out that, you know, how good we actually had it, even with all these problems, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say, yes, of course, a lot of it is learned, right? Like, what's that thing when the, the, the term they use? Is it nature or nurture, right? But niche... My personal thinking, and I've told you parts of this before, in the astrological signs and symbols, they say that each racial type has a zodiac assignment or a sign and symbol, right? So I, I would say that white folks or white race are ruled by Mars Aries. So, and that's also interesting because I think you know, your cross with the native blood, Native American blood, and like, that Celtic or say European, you yeah, know, yeah, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter if you're from Italy or yeah, you know, UK, whatever. But I think you know, for project people, that's an important cross they look for because they they say it's like the medicine of the Native American, but the warrior spirit of the white race, right? Mm -hmm. So when you get that kind of cross, you know, that's also a thing. America, in some ways, I think it's an experiment because especially the the black culture, basically American culture is black culture. It has a lot of the black culture in it, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's, you, you know, can't that get around it. statement That's you make. Fact. And yeah. same thing, the Mediterranean and, you know, Egypt, those were original crossing points of the black and the white. That's why that area was so powerful, because when you get that polarity of anything, but we'll say black and white, or like New Orleans, right? For us, it's like New Orleans on the the Nile of America, the Mississippi, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. New Orleans is a very small place, but it had a profound influence on American culture, right? Oh, but yeah. when you get, and then also New Orleans, the magic, right? So when you get the polarity of two sides, it creates a kind of a friction that can make things happen, right? So that, that's one interesting thing about America. But I would say white folks, the white genetics are recessive, right? So... White, two white people can only produce a white baby. You, so you can get lighter melanated people from darker melanated people, right? Just like if you dilute black paint down, you yes. can make it lighter, but you can't make white darker, right? So from that basis alone, I think that there's a subconscious level that white folks have to be more tribal, because if they weren't, the white race would cease to exist. And basically, I think we're at that point now with the jabs, 
and the social conditioning, mm-hmm. the migration to Europe, below replacement rate, all that stuff, right? When you say the migration to Europe, what do you oh, mean? Oh, well, you know, that was, that was it's like a hundred-year plan that, you know, Kalergi plan. Yes. You know, that uh, they would, well, interestingly enough, Kalergi, he was like half white and Japanese or something, but he was a Zionist. So this was an open plan to miscegenate or bring peoples from, you know, Middle East, Africa, and so forth into Europe. He said that we would have, we would, they would create a brown, golden brown race like Egypt. But this is the thing, right? Because I think one thing we need to bring to the table, especially in talking about this, most people are 3D thinkers, right? Mm-hmm. It's the context. So there's nothing wrong with people mixing. But this is the key point of this whole plan that they had, right? They're going to basically mash everybody up, mix everybody up. And once everybody's brown, well, you can't have racism, right? Mm-hmm. Well, great. But the thing is, they call it multiculturalism, right? But it's actually like monoculture. Because now you have, great, you have a b- b- bunch of like brown dum-dums that are just shoved into pop culture. <laughs> They're totally removed from their home country, from their root culture, Right from their own, the, the songs of their people, and they're just watching pop, they're into pop culture. So yeah, now you got like a rainbow coalition of like corporate dum-dums, you know what I'm saying? So that that's the key point. The, uh, most people, they'll just stop at the point, well, you're saying it's wrong for people to mix, and that's not what I'm saying. That was part of it, but the end goal is to have um, a rainbow coalition of basically NPC drones, so if you're a 3D thinker, oh, great, it's a rainbow coalition. But if you go to the, the energetic or the spiritual level or the understanding, there's no diversity. You're all saying one thing. <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing, too, because I come from a Buddhist background, right? We don't have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> What's the wrong with people just being themselves and being different? Uh, amen. We don't have to agree. Amen. <laughs> we can coexist, but, you know, that, that's the thing is like, for me, at this point, and, you know, I do talk to, like, hardcore white nationalists, okay? Well, this and is what I like about you, Masaki. You what, talk to everyone. Think. They're actually in a defensive position because yeah. they see what, what we see. They're, they're, they're not trying to take stuff over. They're trying to hunker down and just survive, right? But to me, your average redneck is actually far less of a threat. How much can your average redneck do versus... The system that is making like GMO genetic alteration, 5G, all this stuff, right? Which some people would claim to be, you know, that's the white man's plan and all that. I, I, I think we're at the point where they're going after everybody now. And the thing is, this goes back to what I was saying about the white race, because you see, the white race, they love their freedom. You know, it's the Mars Aries energy, right? So. <laughs> And sometimes if it goes too far, that's like freedom to the exclusion of other people. But I think white folks have uh, – there's this – I forgot who made it, but there's a song like, the white man's got a God complex. Right? <laughs> like, you can't do this to me, right? And most white folks live in industrialized countries, basically so-called first world countries, right? So if you got a people that have an idea that they have certain rights – and they have the means, they have more disposable income than, say, developing countries, right? You got to take these people out because they are a warrior race. 
And I think these, in what did Malcolm X say about the white liberal? Mm. He said, do not trust the white liberal. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying now is like, I think you know this, Nish, right? Among ethnic groups, there's a way we talk to white folks and there's a way we talk amongst ourselves. Mm -hmm. But since we're here, <laughs> I'm telling you, for me, and probably the Asians don't get it as bad as black folks, okay? But for me, I have to understand the white man better than he understands himself, mm. you know? Because, you know, it is a situation. I don't, I'm not in fear, but I know my history. My, my parents were born behind barbed wire because of this face, right? Mm. And esoterically, I think the white man has a switch, and a lot of people have fooled themselves into thinking I'm a liberal and all this and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's a primal gut factor. And I think we're, we've reached that point now where, you know, we're talking about the basically mashing up two totally different cultures, just dropping Islamics down. You know, first you got to destroy their countries, right? Then you have them immigrate. You get Soros money, put them into Europe, right? And then put them on welfare so they don't have to really integrate, right? And then you got the intel agencies stirring up the radical factor, okay? That's not going to be a good situation. And then you collapse the economy. At that point, and you know, I will eat, this is the fact. There's been a lot of problems, crime, rapes, whatever, in Europe, right? That's not all those people. Some of those people, honestly, just, they just want to make a good living and be productive citizens. But... There, there's a noticeable chunk of them that have been doing stuff in Europe and other places, right? Then you collapse the economy. You, you know what my thinking is? I don't, <laughs> I don't care how many numbers you got of people that came to Europe in the last 10 or 20 years, right? Because actually, there's a lot of uh, migrants that came earlier from the same areas, right? And they, they said, I came to Europe to live in Europe, not to, <laughs> not to live in the Middle East, because everywhere has their own thing, right? Then people should be able to live the way they want to live. But now you've come to a point where it is so chaotic and it's made to mash groups together to create this kind of friction. That white man, <laughs> that, that switch is going to flip and he's going to start killing everything that's darker than a brown paper bag. That's what I think. Mm. And um, there's even been Islamic scholars that said, like, you don't want to be in Europe. <laughs> like, Get out now while you kick, because a lot of these Abrahamic faiths, they have this end times understanding. And they say that, you know, these kind of wars, wars in general, but racial wars, group, group, you know, wars between different groups, it's going to happen. So, but I, you know, just to end what I was saying, I think that one of the reasons why, and you know, hey, white folks have done a lot of stuff, especially Western Europe, because I think that. You know, whatever this is around the whole Tartaria thing or the Moors, you know, I think there was yes. some kind of civilization that we're not completely aware of. But the latest phase that is in the above board history of the imperialism uh, colonization coming out of Western Europe, right? I think that uh, although, white, you know, so-called white people, Western Europeans have done a lot of things, it's a problem for the powers that be now. Because I think wife, you know, it's the redneck. They're afraid of the redneck. That's what I think. They ain't afraid of no ethnics. Because them like patriots and, and flyover in the south, 
They've been preparing for decades. <laughs> They've been pre- they're, they're probably more prepared, and we're talking for U.S., right, for America. They are more prepared for what's coming than anybody else, I can tell you that. And there's black rednecks, too, but, you know, that kind of mentality, that yeah, kind of mentality, mentality, that's what they're afraid of. Yeah. But I would say your typical white patriot type person, that's what they're really afraid of. So as we move this on, we're going to pass the torch on to Justin here. I do want to get us into later about this whole migration thing that does seem to be coming from like the heavy African influence that's coming in. That's when I say African, I'm really looking at we're look, we've got to start looking at different religions and how these cultural ideas of functioning are moving into our Western ideas because the Western idea really is a more inclusive idea. And for the most part, it is especially what America tried to turn into was we're a melting pot. I grew up hearing that we're a melting pot Mm -hmm. and in cities you would go to places and experience, you could be in New York and you could experience so many cultures within one city and in LA and now, you know, in Atlanta and Chicago and all this. And I always thought this is one of the greatest things our country had to offer was this idea where people could be proud of their cultures proud of their roots and proud of what they're trying to do this whole american idea now of course we're we're founded in on some some sadness and the sorrows but we are a couple hundred years out of that and so we're not a hundred you know jim crow you know so conceivably we're not that far away however this idea that was born of you could come here and build a better life and still be proud of who you are and your people's songs was a big deal. And it's been a very big deal to a lot of people. Now, of course, the First Nations people have something to say there. And I grew up hearing a lot about that. So I'm going to pass this on. Thank you, Masaki, to Justin. What do you have to bring to the table on this? Yeah, absolutely. And that was good information from Masaki. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you know, just to go back to your original question, Nietzsche, in my opinion, racism, without doubt, is definitely manufactured. I do not believe that children are born into this world as racist. It is something that is learned, without doubt. Now, when we talk about racism in America, you know, obviously it's been going on for a very, very, very long time. And it's also a, a programming that has been going on as well. Now, I definitely believe that there's this dark energy. It's a, it's a, it's a, like an intergenerational trauma that runs through humanity when we talk about racism, because it's not only a black and white thing as we know, right? We, we have Middle Easterns that are discriminated against, Asians that are discriminated against. And yes, when I say manufactured, I don't mean that it's just manufactured by white people. It's manufactured by what I consider the hidden hand. And this hidden hand that has manufactured this Dating back hundreds, if not thousands of years, it's, it's a, without doubt, it's a plan and their plan is working. And with that said, this hidden hand cares nothing about the black man or the white man or the Asian man. It's, you know, and they manufactured this process of racism to uh, conquer and divide in order for them to have control and to have power and people fall into it. You know, and it's it, and it can be easy to fall into, 
right? I, I don't blame black people for feeling the way they do when it comes to racism and dis- discrimination because it's very real. It's very real to them. But I do circle back to what I said early on in regards to what black people have been doing and trying to fight racism for the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years here in this country. It hasn't worked. And that's that's how a lot of a lot of black people view it. Now, there have been some so-called advances right over the last couple of years here with, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and all this. And for the record, I don't support Black Lives Matter. I, I, I don't I don't believe in what they do. I don't believe in who they are. You know, never have probably never will unless they make some type of radical change. Mm-hmm. But uh, these are things that are just thrown to the general public to once again program to get them thinking a certain way and to divide and conquer. Because as we know, when, when the riots went on in, uh, in 2020 and the George Floyd situation and Black Lives Matter, you know, there were a lot of people who, who did not like that. And I experienced that firsthand living out here in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, kind of what I talked about early on in, in regards to me living in Michigan and then San Diego and now in Phoenix area for the last four years has, has really shaped my reality. And I have <laughs> learned so much. And I, I can say living in Phoenix, Arizona, this is I thought Michigan was bad. Right. <laughs> but it is it is something else out here. You have a lot of people uh, that uh, just hey, I'm just going to say it. Don't like blacks. Don't, don't like uh, don't like anybody but white people, mm. you know, but these these people themselves again have been programmed i think dave mentioned early on you know when you talk about the media talking about people sitting in front of the tv now as far as me being a black man growing up in in the d the metro detroit area it was a melting pot for me now i didn't actually grow up in the city but i spent a lot of time in the city especially in my youth running the streets of detroit now i grew up in the area as well for a few years called sterling heights michigan right and and we were actually the first black family in that area, I was the first black, me and my, my brother and I, we were the first blacks to actually go to that school, you know, and that's that's when I experienced racism for the first time. And I'll never forget the teacher at that, no, the principal at that school, you know, she, we went on the first day, we met with the principal, my brother, my mom and I, and she was so sweet, she was so nice. And she she told us indirectly that there are people in the community and uh, some of these kids that go to the school have been raised a certain way and that we may experience, it's a possibility we may experience some type of racism or discrimination. But she was so sweet. She told us that she was going to protect us, support us, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, uh, we did experience that. You know, uh, I remember being outside on the playground, my brother and I at school, and this kid came up to my brother and called him the N-word, and my brother hit him, and then they chased us all the way home from school. And that was that was new to me. You know, I was like, whoa. Now, my parents had always told us about racism and how, how certain people can act towards black people, et cetera, but I had never experienced that firsthand. And that was, I didn't know how to process that at the time, you know, but I go, I take it back to thank God for my parents being the way that they are and who, who they are. Yes. To properly navigate us through that. And that that's what I what I do with my my children as well. So yeah, racism without doubt is manufactured and I, I, I gotta say their their plan is is, is working. It's working. Uh, you know one thing that I don't think that people do enough of is 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 critical thinking, right? It's like this analysis paralysis where people, you know, they don't want to know, uh, they don't care to know, but in my opinion, they must know that this issue that 
everyone experiences in this country in one way or another is something that is manufactured by, again, that hidden hand. And I mean, it may sound cliche, but yes, we do all bleed red. You know, we do, regardless of the color. You know, I, I personally have had very good friends who are white, very good friends who are Arab, very good friends who are Asian. You, you name it. You know, they used to call me the mayor in high school because I was I was just cool <laughs> with so many people. You know, just had so many different friends of so many different ethnicities. And where I grew up in Southfield, it was it was literally like you said earlier, a melting pot. It, it was so many different type of people. In fact, the Metro Detroit area, as you're probably aware, and each has the greatest concentration of Middle Easterners outside yes. of the Middle East. Yep. You know, a lot of Arabs there, and then you have a lot of white people, you have a lot of Jewish people. So, you know, and, and my and I understand my experience may be different than most most black people right because you have you have black people obviously that grow up in the hood you have some that grow up in the suburbs all over all over and i think it's very important to be able to educate people that may not have had the same experience that as i and and let them know what i know and and tell them about my experiences and i've I've done that and and i tell you what that's not always easy to do because of the pain the suffering the discrimination the racism that they have experienced they haven't experienced that side that i've experienced of meeting good white people like like, i know i know i know a lot of black people that that think oh my god all white people are racist (laughs) all white people don't like you know and i'm like no man no no it's, it's not like that trust me it's not like that you you yes you've had your experiences and yes you you receive this information on the internet and, and the tv but it's not like that they are hyping this thing up you know and and it, again you know it racism does exist i've experienced on jobs i've experienced from the police department several police departments um you know but again i think that's just a small percentage of people I don't know the percentage, but I, you know, maybe it's 10%, eight to 10%, but they take it and they portray it or project it like it's 50, 60%. And again, this is causing all this chaos and confusion out here. And as far as I'm concerned, there has to be a shift at some point. Now, how and when that will happen, I have no idea. If I did, I'd be in a different position right now, but (laughs) it's going to, it's going to take people like myself, yourself, and the two gentlemen on this call to come together, to unite, to do things, to educate people and bring awareness to truth of what's really going on in this country. Yes, I agree. So well said there. And, you know, another thing while we're here with you, Justin, it is interesting to note that really a lot of times the the racist idea, which I view as kind of a parasitical with Tico, it's a thought form that is an invasive thought form. And of course, we know at the core, it is set up here to divide us. Now, of course, there are real racists out there that have done very bad things to everyone. I think if we look at culture as a whole, and we look at stories as a whole, we see that there's been a lot of terrible stuff that humans here have done to each other for a lot of crappy reasons. You know, women have had it hard and, uh, other, you know, everyone's had some hard times and it's hard sometimes to 
heal these generational scars. It's hard yeah. sometimes when, and when I say generational scars, I am taking this down to the myopic. If your mother has been treated terribly and you witnessed it and it was a certain group of people that were doing it, and this is a little bit of how I got to it, uh, it it's hard to not have a chip on your shoulder about that because this is what you saw. And it takes a lot of inner work to move through what you were just saying. It's not carte blanche. It's not everyone. And the experiences need to open up and breathe that I totally believe, Justin, that we need to start engaging in people more one-on-one and instead of looking at their identity. That's right. People need healing. That's what people need from those certain situations that you that you just described. And when you talk about racism, right, I know in the black community, you know, it's just not, you know, the white on black thing. Right. It's it's even within our own people. You know, yes. I, I can tell you it was this thing that was going on like in the 80s and the 90s within the black community where uh, a lot of women. Oh, I need to have a light skinned brother. You know, mm-hmm. like light skinned guys were in and, and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the brothers that were, you know, darker in color, we got put on the back burner. Right. It's just stupid stuff like that. And even within my family, my family in Toledo, Ohio, with with my grandfather, who, who's now passed on and my step grandmother right now, my grandfather, who is my my uh, my mother's father. He you know, if you look at him, look at a picture of him. You know, some people think he's a white man. Like he is very, very, very light skinned, very fair skinned. And then his wife, uh, my step grandmother, they she was the one that bought this thing within the family on that side of the family where, you know, the the light, the light skinned people in the family were treated better mm-hmm. than the darker skinned people, you know, especially the, the, the children. I remember niece going to going to uh, to Christmas dinner at my grandfather's house. All the kids that were lighter on complexion got the best toys. Oh, and then my brother, my brother and I, who were who were brown skin, we get like a pair of socks, oh, you know, my, things like that, just terrible. silly stuff, you know, based with, within the own family, within the own culture. You know, yes. it's just it's just ridiculous, and that that still goes on to this day in, in a lot of families. Yes, you know, this racism, this color thing has just uh, it, it's gone. It's pierced so deep, so deep where people are uh, just color struck, at least, you know, people, some people are just color struck. And then you have a lot of, a lot of Africans as well that don't like black Americans. Oh yeah. There's a, people don't talk about this, Justin, the difference between (sighs) black American blacks, like old school, your family's old school, been here a long time and new Africans coming in. There's a big divide. You cannot throw these groups of people together by skin color. It's ridiculous. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's very ridiculous, you know, but, uh, you know, people need healing from, from these experiences, from these traumas that they, they went through in life. Uh, they need, they need awareness, uh, and they, they need love, you know, they need love. That's, that's what they need. Love is my frequency. I love it. And I've always been so horrified by the fact that people cringe at that idea. How could you cringe at the idea of love as a frequency? But well, that's another show. So thank you for sharing that, Justin. And we're going to move on to Dave. So Dave, I've got to be honest with you. I actually didn't know a lot about your heritage. And um, I've just known you as a solid person out there, or a man, because I'm going to get a person is part of the system, right? Personhood. So as a solid man out there that is talking about this kind of stuff and does talk about this kind of stuff, but I really didn't know. 
I guess I didn't know, and you've probably said it, and I've probably heard it, but I don't get stuck on this kind of thing, that you were first generation. And then secondly, I just want to say, I'm glad that you and your family made it through COVID. I got sick each year. I didn't test, but whatever weaponized craziness was going on, that shit knocked me mm. on my arse. It was a hardcore, hardcore, hardcore both times. So I am just glad you're all okay. And so with that, I'm passing the baton you. to you. You know, first and foremost, I'm really glad that you're you're doing good and you're doing better and, and just as it affected us. And by the way, my um this is interesting. My wife and her daughter, which is my stepdaughter, who lives with us right now, my wife got it a second time and her daughter got it for the first time. And I was around them the whole time and I didn't get it. Now I didn't get it to the point when I tested, it didn't show up on t- in any tests Cause I did test and, um, and they tested and they tested positive, you know, test after test. I took three tests and it never showed up. But I will say that I, you know, in the beginning when they were sick, I started feeling a little bit under the weather, but then it went away, you know, gradually. And and again, this could be for another show, of course, but uh, it was just really interesting how this whole thing has just been kind of like a, a cycle to where you have certain family members who have got jabbed, uh, who've done the boosting and all that. And you, you'll see I mean, I'm not trying to make, you know, claims or anything like that. But in my observation, I'm seeing that people may not want to do that (laughs) because I'm seeing that, you know, some of those people are getting sicker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I talk about that a lot. (laughs) And I haven't done any jabs at all. Now, I did take a monoclonal cocktail Mm -hmm. uh, when I was first sick. I'm not and I don't know what that has done to me how it's altered me or anything like that but i will say that um i haven't gotten sick again yeah. and i and I, you know knock on wood yeah um but you know, I, again uh, i i do I, I refuse to take anything like the vaccines that are out there right now because of all the horrific stories that you're hearing oh yeah uh, and that's just, and that's just me yeah, yeah that's just me I'm well, that's kind of all of us here <laughs> right i'm just telling i'm not telling anyone don't do it you know just not I'm saying from my own experience, not going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, they'd have to hold me in, down and oh, all that stuff. But, my, they'd be uh, doing it then. to my dead body. I will say right. the ivermectin is a miracle. But I'm just, you know, I don't want to make this show about all that. But it, it's right. exactly. amazing. Let's get back onto this. So what are your thoughts on all this as we open up with, like, racism.inc.? Uh, wonderful information from Masaki. Uh, you know that's amazing information. Um, you know there, some of that stuff I've 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 also read about, and uh, you know Weston his, his experiences and his family's experiences with racism. I, I can relate to a lot more with experience as far as what my parents went through, and when they came over uh, from the old country. I heard, I, I mean, I've heard, you know, horror stories about them being in Texas um, and not being served in restaurants, being called names, all kinds of stuff like that. Stuff that I didn't have to go through. Um, although I did, like I said, I, I have 
experienced some racism on my, you know, of my own, but nothing compared to what my parents went through or my grandparents went through um, or my older siblings. And um, where were they coming from? So uh, my parents came from a place called uh, Saltillo, Mexico. It's close to uh, Monterey, Mexico. Uh, oh. And uh, they, they were coming from that side uh, of Mexico into Laredo, Texas. And so they settled in, um, they, they first settled in, in uh, New Laredo or Nuevo Laredo is what it's called in, uh, in Mexico. But it's also a, a border point right across the Rio Grande in Texas. And so that's that's where they crossed into, and uh, you know that, that's a, an amazing story. My mom's got wonderful stories about that, but I've also heard the horror stories. And and like I was saying, uh, I can't remember which one of my siblings it was. I, rem- I remember hearing a story that my dad had gone into a restaurant, and it there was a sign right there. This is I can't remember what part of Texas it was, but uh, they had told me my mom had told me that my dad had to argue with them because my, one of my siblings was a baby and it, the baby, you know, at the time that, you know, they needed the milk uh, to feed the baby. And, you know, the, this restaurant was like whites only. They were pointing to the sign oh my and my God. dad t- told him, I'm not leaving until I get some milk. And he had the money on the counter. You know, he even had more than, than they were asking. And he's like, oh, that's all I'm asking. You give me the milk, I'll leave. And finally they did. They gave him the milk and, you know, he left the money and he, lo- and he left. Was and Dave, was this in the Jim Crow period? That sounds so Jim Crow. Uh, again, you know, it, it's uh, probably, um, I'm sure this is like between the 50s and 60s. Okay, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and so, um, you know, my dad took a stand. I've admired him for it, of course. The question what you were saying earlier to to each of us, do we feel that this is something that is that a person you know people are born with or or are they taught this? I, I totally believe it that they're you're taught this. Whether it's a white baby, a brown baby, you know, and, you know, whatever. You get those two babies growing up together and they're best friends. Yeah. You know, with, without any influences. Now, when, once the influences start coming in, then you start seeing changes. You know, and especially with, with, with the way the families raise these children. If you're in the same neighborhood, like I was in the 70s, we had, luckily, I grew up in, in um, a small town. It's not small now, but back in the 70s. It was a, a, you know, a basically a, a military-based town, and when we grew up, I, when when we moved there, because I was born in Oakland, and you want to talk about diverse in Ooh, Oakland? Yeah, I've lived you know. in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> growing up in Oakland in the seventies is probably about as diverse as you're going to get, like almost like the sixties, you know. And and so um, we moved um, in seventy-three uh, up up to. Um, the North Bay, if you will. And this was a very small Mormon town, as a matter of fact. It's not like that now. It, believe me, it's, man, it's, it's terrible everywhere with the homeless, of course, with the situation. Um, and we're seeing that. You know, we're seeing that here. We're seeing it everywhere. 
But um, the neighborhood I grew up in, you had white, you had black, you had Mexican or Latino, Asian, uh, you know, Filipino. Uh, you, you had, again, the melting pot, you know. And growing up as kids, we all rode our bikes. You know, we all, you know, just played until, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, everything just like that. Drank out of the water hose, <laughs> all that stuff. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> And, um, you know, and, and our, our parents didn't have to worry about us. You know, they, they, we, we, were, we would play, you know, until nighttime and, and, you know, just do it all over again the next day. And when you start going to school, and this is, you know, where a lot of the stuff that Masaki was talking about is you start going to school, you're not being taught any of this information. Of, of the history, uh, you know, especially of like Tatarian or anything like that. None of that stuff gets taught in school, in our history books, you know. I mean, it wasn't even taught that, you know, our founding fathers were, were Masonic. That wasn't even taught. And so, you know, there was a plan to begin with, in my opinion, on how this country was going to be built. Um. Now again, like I said, you know the 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 town I grew up in. It was a very small town, you know, kind of like you know what you see in Stranger Things. You know, it's a, a small town. Everyone's cool with each other and stuff. And and then you start you know getting older and, and you start seeing the changes happening in our politics. You start seeing things changing in, in pop culture. You start seeing you seeing all these changes. So whatever's happening. Is, is definitely happening over a slow time period. You know, it's gradually going to get there to whatever the plan is. But, you know, we're, we're seeing it right now at, I guess, at the head of the, of, 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 the, of, of the point where, I mean, look what happened, you know, like what, what Justin said with, um, with, the, with, with the whole uh, George Floyd thing. I, I mean, that's something that I would, didn't ever think I was going to experience in my hometown, small town, where there was protests. Didn't get as bad as like it got in San Francisco and Oakland. But it was, it was like, man, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be out on the street right now. And I don't want my kids to be out on the street. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and again, I feel that this is definitely being orchestrated by whatever powers that be. And I, don't, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, quote, conspiracy theorist, unquote, whatever. You're in good but, company. You know? <laughs> but, 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 but you can't deny that there's so much stuff that's happening right now that was talked about, you know, back in the day, you know, like – when Art Bell was talking about stuff like this or anybody, you know, on coast to coast. And a lot of these things we're starting to see actually happen. And especially when he talked about the pharmaceutical companies and, and politics, it's just amazing what's happening. And especially in Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood is disgusting right mm, now, mm-hmm. you know, not only with, you know, the whole gender bender thing, but, you know, you have, again, people 
you know, culture against culture and, and different, um, you know, types of, of situations, but they're trying to promote it as, oh, we're just trying to promote, you know, unity. But at the same time, it's not. It really isn't unity. It's, it's, we're being pitted against one another. People just aren't catching it. You know, it's funny because I talk with Jerry a lot and, you know, talking with Jerry, he can talk forever. We do a show, a, a sideshow that we call um, Pulp Addicts um, Podcast. And it's ba- mainly pop culture, movies, talk a lot about DC and Marvel. And, you know, we started talking about MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now we're calling it the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that's all you're seeing now is, you know, it's and I'm not and I have nothing against, you know, women in Hollywood. But come on, it's being, you know, just beaten over the head left and right. And now you're seeing male figures, you know, I guess if you want to call them soy boys, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, that they're there's they're. they're I mean, look, Thor used to be one of my favorite Marvel characters. And I'm not even, I don't even want to see this last movie that that they made with Thor because he's a buffoon. He's a total buffoon. And and, and now they have women in in a place of, of more power, which is great, but I see what the agenda is. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't know if any, anybody agrees with that or not. But um, it's just, you know, it's, it's very obvious when, when, you know, when you start, you know, really paying attention to what's going on, you stop really paying attention to the mainstream media and you start looking more for yourself and doing your own research. You, you will, you know, you will see that there are, there is something going on that's not right. Yes. And we all agree on that here. A lot of our uh, talking points are also uh, looking at what is this hidden hand because ultimately that's where we need to turn our gaze collectively to start addressing what is going on behind the scenes in the social programming that brought us here. You know, we could talk Tavistock and all this stuff. It's interesting. And thank you for bringing us into this next period here I want to look at now as we move forward this idea of the what I'm looking at and I can only see it this way I'm looking at the maps I'm I'm I've got my finger on the pulse with all this and I look at all sides so I look at you know I get I get all over the board because I think we should do that. We owe it to ourselves to go over and well, what are Jewish people saying in Hebrew and translate? What are Russian people saying in Russian and translate and stop really accessing so many gatekeepers and try to go to the source if possible. And also the Tataria stuff is important because this is inviting us to look at historical context in a different way that is deconstructing what we've all been told. The world is way different than we've all been told and our parents were told. And we, our generation, the four of us, and we represent a lot of people in the world, 
really see that now. And that's been a gift of this time that we're in. It's been a gift in this transparency that's going on, just like looking at how manipulated the idea of race is and the idea of gender and all this stuff that's just, first of all, on the gender, that is like, come on, that's behind doors. I don't care what you have between your legs unless I'm coming at you. And so, you know, and then it might be, that's a need to know situation, right? So what are you working with? And so. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, Nish, I think one of the problems is you just brought it up. We don't even know who we are. I know. I know. We we don't like, you know, the, the history, the history, they say, we maybe know about 200 years back, and that's highly edited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you go further than 200 years back, we, we really don't know what happened. We have we our don't. ideas, but it's yeah. very murky. You know, That's and, a great point. That's a great point. And that's been my thing, right? All I was talking about, all I was taught in school about the black people is that we, we came from Africa, right? Allegedly on ships. Well, what about before then? You know, mm-hmm. when we came to America, what what about before? Who were we? Who, like, who who is my people? Who, you know, where what were we doing before then? Mm-hmm. Were we only in Africa? Were we in other areas of the world? I, I was never taught that. So uh, that's an excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Nish, and- I, I don't know where you want to go, but I have I was taking little notes, and then also, if you want to know Endgame, Japanese American community, there's a monument. In Little Tokyo in L.A., that's the metal Saturn cube. Oh, yeah, that is amazing. You want me oh, to my bring God. That up? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, Little Tokyo. I love Little Tokyo over there, the food and all that. My favorite ramen in the world is right there. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the things I said out, you know, out the jump might be kind of controversial. But I, I really do think, though, Nish, knowing, you know, because your area, if you just talk about bloodlines, lineage, all that kind of stuff, we know that the human body is basically a container, right? Yes. You, you, you. But <laughs> you have two parallel lines. You have the, the bloodline and the genetics, and then you have the spirit or soul line. They connect at points, but they're not exactly parallel. You know what I'm saying? So I think in these kind of topics, it, it depends on okay, what level are you talking about? And then with the scale, right? Because, yeah, of course, we're all one, right? And the more work, self-work that you do, you start finding out like, oh, there's transmigration of souls. Well, how can you be racist if Ooh, you understand that? That's right. Take you know, it up Other there, realities, other timelines, a different gender, man, woman, black, white, you know? So that, but I do think, though, that there's probably... It's not a majority factor, but the genetics and the bloodline does have a like I was saying, each race is assigned an astrological, you know, sign and symbol. And to say that everybody's the same. If you look at people in their own communities, it is clearly obvious we all got our different inclinations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But like the fellows were saying, this has been a program. You know, if we were just left alone to our own devices and weren't being crushed by the economics and all this stuff, we'd probably get along fine, right? But uh, using the lens of, and let me tell you something, I'm, I'm going to tell you from the, the what I see from the Japanese American community, but I think it's, I'm just seeing it from my angle, but I think it's the same for the blacks, for, for Mexican, the Latinos, 
white folks they they run they have programs running for every group yes. but it's on a, it's on a similar thing right so and this is this is the thing too nish when you start looking at the alternative info mk ultra all that um we know it affects everybody but it's coming from a very you know standard white american narrative right yes well guess what mm. Who, who's the asians that are often said to be the most American of the Asian Americans, you, you know, it's the Japanese, right? We've been here a long time. Yeah. Well, by that fact alone, you got to know we're the most MK Ultra group because <laughs> we've been <laughs> here the longest, right? So, man, and th- this was po- this this was posed to me by uh, Daryl Hamoto again, that professor. Uh, people go check him out. He's he's on YouTube, Daryl Hamoto, and he said, you know, I think there's some MK Ultra stuff going on. In the Japanese, you know, Asian American community, and I was like, "Yeah, but you know." And then that set me off, and you know, I'm a Scorpio, so I started digging. Scorpio is a sign of the detective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I was I, Nish, you know, I've told you some of my stories. I was in it. I was right in the pit of hell, and because you know, my family's basically community leader people, right? So, where do you think? It's not everybody. All I need to do is have the the choke points, right? The gatekeepers. Where do you think these MK Ultra people are? The heads of the community, basically. And I think that's probably the same for all the communities. And basically, I would say, you know, where is this kind of very... You could call it a kind of a chosenite thinking, right? Is a chosenite kind of racist thinking that's coming out of ethnic studies, a social justice. You know, everybody's got their angle, but it all goes back to this uh, socialism, communism, which I think... It's not a stretch to say it comes out of a Kabbalistic Sabbatean thinking of you're somehow, you know, it's a hier- hierarchical thinking, you know, and it, it really came out of the uh, out of the universities. You know, people talk about military industrial complex, but what about the the military educational yes. complex? Yes. Right. So basically, you know, very well-known story, Japanese-Americans. Put, uh, they put like 120,000 men, women, children in concentration camps, World War II, considered enemy aliens. They, they never, and I, even I'm surprised, they never proved one, one Japanese-American was a sellout. Even I would say like there probably was one or two or whatever. They and, never found any. Well, meanwhile, know? Japanese-Americans were fighting for America. That's what I was going to get to. So <laughs> while the families were in camp, the young men, they called the Nisei, they were typically like the, they call them the second generation, but they were the ones, they're the first generation born in America. They were basically military age. So to quote unquote, prove their loyalty to America while their people, while their, their whole family was locked up. You talk about whole communities locked up, right? They went to go fight in the, in Europe and the Pacific theater against basically Japanese. Yeah, that's right? so Fighting sinister. Their own people, right? Yeah, they they directed them over. They kept them on that side, is what I learned. Unless in say Europe, they were pushing Japanese against Japanese. Well, it, it, you know, you got to think 1940s. Japanese like an alien language, right? So if you're gonna like interrogate, decode documents, whatever, who are you gonna get to to that knows Japanese? It's gonna be Japanese Americans, right? There's no other way, right? But I had never thought about this niche until I started digging in. Okay. Like I said, Japanese American Pacific Theater, they're capturing maps, documents, you know, reading them, 
interrogating Japanese Imperial Army. These are Japanese Americans, right? That branch was called MIS, Military Intelligence Service. By that fact alone, that's intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And there's Japanese Americans in the military, right? This had never come to my mind until, the, until I started digging. By that, that fact alone, you had to know from that time, from the mid-late 40s, Japanese Americans, Japanese American families, the, the men and then their descendants and their families had to be tapped into the projects. Boom, right there, right? And then I can tell you that um, I won't name the name here, but there was a guy, psychologist, picked straight out of camp, concentration camp. I don't even think he spent one year. Ended up being the head psychologist of a very famous uh, orphanage which is, uh, you know, connected to the Franklin cover-up. Mm-hmm. Japanese-American. We've talked about Later ends up this. at UCLA. Yeah. Okay. This guy is relatives with people that are very high up in Asian-American studies. MKUltra doctor, okay? What does that tell you? So, not only is it a program, but it's, it's connected to everything else that we talk about. Basically, th- this is mind-control mind slaves, right? Yeah. You talk about programming, the people that the community look to for liberation and social justice, these are slaves of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably don't even realize that because they're MKs, you know. Well, it was like the same in the South. Uh, the sharecropping was just yeah. another form of slavery, and then that taken to this level of where we all are, and this is the great leveling: is the taxation system here has put us all, no matter who you are, into mm-hmm. a slave system, and people don't recognize that for some reason and it's that same with tico it's that same mind virus that gets Mm -hmm. people enslaved it's a mindset but i believe and this is the bigger woo here i believe it's actually truly a parasite and i do believe Mm -hmm. that we're under an invasion but we'll get there so let's let's step back here and i want to talk about what we're seeing now through what i'm calling this greater invasion so and remember Let's keep this in mind that there is an an ink behind it, an org behind it that we're talking. Umbrella. <laughs> it's, it's so timely, right? Umbrella Corp. It all goes up to BlackRock, State Street, right, and Vanguard, and then they invest in each other. And there's this shadow hand that's controlling everything: food, pharmaceuticals, uh, cosmetics, clothing, our housing, everything. Though that small group right there. So can I throw this one last thing about about that cube? Yes, throw it in. This kind of ties it all together, right? So, you know, if you go and again, this it's all about context and what time period are you talking about? Because, you know, uh, coming up in America, I mean, Japanese literally put in concentration camps. You know, um, every community has their story, right? But there's a big division about what time period are you talking about because. The pre-65, you know, I think it was 1965, they opened up the immigration. And so there's pre-65 and post-65 for immigrants, ethnic immigrants and Asians. And the Asians that grew up in America, it's just a fact. You either grew up in in L.A., you grew up in the Mexican ghetto, or you grew up in the the black ghetto. Because, (laughs) you know, L.A. had... Housing covenants, you literally could not buy a house until like post war, you know, uh, in white areas. And even the Jews, they couldn't buy. They started moving to the west side of LA maybe after the 50s. 
it was that ghettoized, right? It's like literally you get the house, like the title to the house. If it's old enough in L.A., it says only basically WASP can buy this house. That's on the title of the house, right? And but let's clarify what time that. period are you talking about? Because I'll tell you. Masaki, let's clear. A lot of people probably don't know what WASP means. White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. Pro- Protestant yeah. yeah. Well, they, they had in, anti-miscegenation laws, too. Like, you couldn't marry. You know, people were getting together. But officially, you're not supposed to marry, uh, you know, white with non-white. You know, it wasn't until, like, probably late 50s, 60s that started to open up here in L.A., but uh, what period are you talking about? Because the ethnics in L.A., they, you know, including Jews, they, they, we all grew up in the ghettos here. Like my parents, I'm t- not myself, but the communities, right? They all had a common understanding that there's this kind of system that <laughs> it ain't, it's not the same if you're a pure wasp versus everybody else. Even certain beaches you couldn't go to if you weren't like, like white, white, right? But... The the post sixty five immigrants they never experienced that you know and I'll give you an example you know when the Japanese came back from the camps uh, I know in L A like the white grocers wouldn't even sell to us who helped us out it was the black and Mexican grocers because there was under- not number one we were from those communities but number two it's like we know the man <laughs> we know we know what's up so there's sort of a common understanding right even a uh, uh, you know, th- there were vets that came, you know, Japanese-American vets that came back. W- one guy, he had a, he had his arm blown off, went to go get a haircut, and they said, we don't cut Jap hair. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> it was like late 40s or something, right? Mm-hmm. And it still, it was like that. But what period are you talking about? Because now I probably have more, I know I have more in common, you know, like I went to Robert Phoenix's conference. with I have more in common with a lot of white patriots than these ethnics. I, I would say now. Because it's that Aquarian thing. It's more about your understanding and who you vibe with. Whereas before, it was much more ethnic-based, you know? Yes. So I I may get along with some so-called rednecks a lot more than my own people. Because you cannot trust the face no more because the box is open. There's there's sellouts in 360 degrees. So it's really, what's your understanding Yes. And we vibe and that kind of thing. But getting back to the Saturn cube, what's the end game, right? I think it was around 2014. They put in this metal cube. It was called the Omu cube. And it's an out of many one. It's a metal cube and it's right in front of the Japanese American Museum. It's like a terminus or it's a it's an important point. You know, if you just look geographically. uh, There's a lot of energy right there. Right. And I feel I feel that's when it's like like we've been colonized, son. <laughs> it's very <laughs> symbolic because the leadership of the Japanese American Museum changed at that time too. We we don't even have an Japan. Asian or a Japanese American <laughs> running running our own museum now. It's I'm some like, white lady what? in South Africa. Again, <laughs> South Africa, the program they ran there mm-hmm. is being run here now, but this Omu Cube, out of many one, which is uh, actually the national saying of Jamaica, not necessarily a bad thing, but when you put it on the Saturn Cube, it's, so it's basically, it's this cube, it has the faces of like man, woman, different, you know, uh, you know, gay, straight, whatever. It's everybody, right? The rainbow, remember the whole rainbow thing? If we're all, you know, together, rainbow coalition, everything's going to be great. But with that said to me, is it, it's an assimilation cube. 
out of many one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think there's a saying in the scriptures that the damn devil, he says, uh, you know, I am legion for we are many. Mm. Right. It's, it's a mono monoculture thinking of, you know, on the 3D surface, we're all together, but it's actually all this system message. You got to, you know, got to be on message, this kind of thing. So I think coming from the Japanese American perspective, that's what I see. I mean, it is literally 3D. You could see assimilation cube in the heart of my community. Yeah. And we see it, we do see it all over the field. And we may talk about that later, but there's a lot, and everyone here understands the significance of the black cube. And I think most of our listening audiences do as well. And that's going to be another show. It's super significant and it is at the core ultimately of this bigger game, this long game that's being played. 